Welcome to the 0400 Podcast, the podcast for dreamers. Good morning, guys. Good Hello. morning. How we doing? Good. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Yeah. And it's freezing outside. We're in the win- we're in winter. It's 20 degrees for a Tennessee boy. That's pretty hard. Well, it's literally freezing. Literally, yeah. Yeah. We would die if we were naked outside right now. Sometimes too long. I watch a couple of people on uh that have YouTube channels that uh like the one guy's like building a cat co- they're Canadians, you know, one guy's like building a cabin and in, in the woods and uh oftentimes and they use Celsius there but they they'll convert it every now and then and he's just out there working and it's like twenty below. Oof. Jeez. No big deal. No thanks. Man, that's tough. No thank you. Yeah, I'll pass on that one. Well, I don't know. For for the right adventure, I think it'd be fun. With the right jacket. Not being naked. Yeah. What do we got today? Drinking. Today, we are not so sponsored by Mule Town. But uh, we know those guys over there. They're fantastic people. So even though they're not a sponsor, definitely check them out. I don't know their, their Instagram or, or website. But look up Mule Town Roasters, yeah. Columbia, Tennessee, and you'll find them. They're great. It's They're delicious. Fantastic. And this is, a, I think, a Tanzanian? Ooh. Yes. I uh, know, Guatemalan. Single origin. Wrong continent, bro. Mm. But uh, tasting notes. What are you guys tasting? I get notes of caffeine, mm-hmm. which is most important for me <laughs> at four in the morning. Yes. Yeah. It's delicious. I think my palate's not, as, as we've talked about before, it's not very refined, but uh, but I can taste when it's good coffee. Like yeah. that's the thing. It's like I, I have a I have a binary system. It's either <laughs> this is either uh, like not good coffee or it's good coffee, and right. this is good coffee. This is really light. It's like notes. silkier. Yes. It's yeah, like, it's, it's got like a different texture. For sure. What do silky. they say on there? Does it say anything? <laughs> but I, I like how you're like. Uh, I just know if it's good or bad. It reminds me of Ron Burgundy. Be like, this coffee is bad. <laughs> is it Ron Burgundy? Anchorman, I think. I don't think so. Unless it was Anchorman too. It's either the Office or Anchorman where he's like, something, something is bad. This is bad. <laughs> Someone in the comments help me out, all right? Um, they said that the tasting notes are of cane sugar and tangerine. Definitely Ooh, taste that kind of like light Ooh. sweetness. Really yeah. delicious. It's not as it's not as fruity as some, you know, that I've had. Like yeah. the really blueberry-y ones. Yeah. Which uh, I can't remember what what's that normal. It's usually a Rwandan, Rwandan natural that's right. process. This was much lighter on the fruit, but kind of it's nice. It's not too. Blah. Yeah, for sure, sweet. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that coffee used to be like a sacrament? Basically, it was like I a. Believe it, man. It was like a spiritual, like the the sh- the shaman are the ones that that ground up, like had the coffee beans. I'm your shaman, man. Did you know that? No. Like back in the day, you know, That's so cool. Like a cup of coffee, we take it for granted now. It's certainly in our culture, but back in the day, like coffee was mind blowing. Oh yeah, you know, it Did, was kind of oh, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, yeah. No, finish your thought, man. Well, I mean, kind of like anything would have been mind blowing back then. Like, like you could, you could, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I don't even know. I don't even know about like uh like going back in time and, and like showing them TV. You know, that would be like so mind blowing. I don't even know what they would do. You know, but. Like just go back in time and like show them like uh, like a big lighter, mm-hmm. and you're you're king of the world now. There, yeah. Uh, two things to say about that. One, there's a really cool video I saw of a person meeting a tribe in the Amazon for the first time, and the 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 people you know it's a very primitive tribe. They show them a, a mirror, 
And the guy oh, sees wow. his reflection for the first time, and he has no idea what to do with it. Like, it's... I mean, you think about, like, the only water they have is the rushing Amazon. And so he's probably never seen a clear pool of water where he can see reflection. And when he saw wow. himself in a mirror, it was like... It was like looking at an alien, you know? He was like, who is this person? Yeah. Mm. Very cool. Secondly, there was a direct correlation between when caffeine comes to a culture and the productivity of the culture. Yeah. Like, like, like seriously, like the, the, um, the enlightenment, you know, um, a few hundred years ago coincided with when tea and coffee made it to the West, which is very fascinating. And, and about whatever it was five or 600 years before that, it was when they had a lot of the, um, insane growth in the middle East, you Mm -hmm. know, in the, um, whatever i can't remember the name of the the culture at the time there but um when they were doing all the math and stuff was directly coincided with when they got coffee wow so it's like it's something it does something to the brain and the you industrial know? revolution because people at that time to really have in mass water that could be drank it had to be distilled that mm-hmm. was like one of the easiest ways either that or boiled and so essentially people were like buzzed and drunk all the time, like trying to do work, like hard manual labor. So, I mean, you, yeah, if anyone just stopped drinking, you know, day drinking all the time, they're going to be productive, but especially if they're given a drug <laughs> instead of, instead of alcohol, yeah. Yeah. which I guess is alcohol is a drug, right? Well, technically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a drug you drink. Yeah. yeah. Anything that alters, I think the brain chemistry is, I could say is it's probably a drug. Yeah, right. That was a fascinating thing to hear. I think you were the one that told me about that was, mm-hmm. you know, because the safest way to drink anything was when it was fermented. Right. Mm-hmm. And so rather than just drinking water from the well, people just drank beer all day long mm-hmm. when they were farming. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like in, in Bible times, you know, for weddings and stuff like that, that's why wine was so prevalent. It wasn't even so much that, like that. It's about that. They're sitting down with a cabernet. Like, mm, this is nice. Yeah. It's a great <laughs> wedding, but it's like necessity. It's truly necessity. Alcohol was needed back then. Huh. So enlighten. So shaman, coffee bean. Enlightenment, caffeine. Mm-hmm. Industrial revolution, cocaine. <laughs> right. I mean, that's where cocaine started yeah, making its true. its its hit. Uh, yeah. So there's something about stimu- rock and roll, marijuana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something about yeah, amphetamines. So something <laughs> about stimulation and dreaming. Something about stimulation and progress or, uh, you know, new ideas and, and, and innovation. I don't know. Just an interesting well, was, correlation. Yeah. A few months ago, I attempted to stop drinking coffee because I had blood pressure stuff going on, right? And um, so I switched completely to decaf. And I felt like there was like, part of it was probably how much coffee I was drinking. But, but I also felt like even when I got past the withdrawals, there was like, kind of like a veil between me and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I wonder when this feeling's going to go away. And my friend Miles said, maybe this is just how reality feels without caffeine. And I was uh. like, oh, you know, yeah. like. No thanks. No thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'm more controlled now. I'm, I'm to one cup a day, but even that one cup, it changes yeah. my, my morning. That's yeah. that's what I realized is like the good cruising altitude is one cup a day. Yeah. If you go beyond that, you start to get too amped Oof. and get the withdrawal sy- symptoms, but. I, I've gone between like one cup a day and no cup a day and I've felt no difference, thankfully. And have y'all ever gone down the, the rabbit hole of bulletproof coffee? Yeah. I've heard of it, but I don't, I've never tried it. It's like it. where you like, bl- you like blend in butter and, and uh, MCT, MCT oil, oil, which is a 
coconut it's derivative. It's delicious. It's mm. delicious. If you're not fasting in the morning, it's it's like a meal replacement, but yeah. it's it gets your brain because instead of like the antsy feeling that caffeine will get you, it it like curbs that with the fat. It's kind of high. It's you a really it's like a brain tingling. It's like a nootropic. It's a really I've tried it. I don't uh, if I'm not doing like intermittent fasting or something like that. I'll, every once in a while, I'll, I'll do that. It's it's pretty wild. We'll have to do that one day. We'll have to I'm do. down to try that for sure. Yeah. So this isn't a, po- a coffee podcast, but we definitely probably should have a coffee sponsor at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> what about Mule Town? Because they're local, aren't they? Yeah, we yeah, talked to Matt Columbia. and Chris. There you go. Let's, Let's make it happen. Yeah. I'm down. All right, five minute share. They can sponsor us in beans, really. Yeah, That'd be nice, <laughs> at least. <honestly>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I got something to share with you guys. I ashamedly, ashamedly found this in not the best way. Uh, I found this on Instagram with like an inspirational quote because I, I guess I've been following like stoic philosophy and some other things. And so like Viktor Frankl and stuff like that comes up and there's been some quotes that have made me ponder for sure. Most of it's just like, you know, just like whatever, just kind of scroll past it. Nothing to think about twice. This one I kind of scrolled past and, uh, and then I, I, I molted over for days. I couldn't get off my, my mind. So I was trying to like work it out in my brain. That is, uh, Tolstoy says respect was invented to cover the empty place where love should be. So I'll do it one more time. Respect was invented to cover the empty place where love should be. I was thinking about that, like the applicability of it. Um, and trying to figure out, is that true or is it not? Where does love fall into place? Where does respect fall into place? And so I was thinking like marriage, let's say, or or let's say you're dating somebody, married, partner, whatever. You guys are busy as we all are. You you don't get to see each other throughout the week as we oftentimes do. And, uh, but on Friday, you guys go out, you know, get a babysitter. Uh, You have one-on-one time where you go out and you have a really nice meal, great conversation. You catch up, you feel intimately connected with that person. You know, you go back, you even intimately connect physically. Um, At the end of the day, you know, uh, of that connection, I think the last thing on your mind would be respect because you're so full of love. But also the question, I guess, that I pass on to you guys is, where does respect fall into love? Are they equal? Does respect somehow fit into love? Or are they completely separate? Hmm. Wow. Man, I mean, first off, Tolstoy. Amazing. Yeah, deep cut. I just started getting into him. Dude, so Real the deep. Russians do great literature and they do great music. I'm just saying Tchaikovsky, he was a creep, but he was one of the best composers of all time. Even if you don't like classical music, you would know most of what he wrote. Um, and then you have Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. And I just finished a, sorry, I'm going to be going on a tangent. So I'm not, I'm going to come back to the respect, but I just finished a book that's going to be on our reading list. It's called Loris by, uh, his name is Vodaleskin. And he's, uh, kind of, kind of like a modern Dostoevsky, um, uh, Orthodox Christian. And this book was absolutely fantastic if we have time today i'm gonna talk about it yes please okay. um so first off tolstoy great love it um respect and love i think i feel like they go hand in hand i mean 
there's this book I read before I got married called Love and Respect. I don't know if you've ever read that book. I was going to bring that up, dude. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I don't mean to, <laughs> to no, no, no. steal your thunder. No, but it's like, not. you know, I, I think it's very interesting. The, the premise of the book was that men value feeling respected more than they value feeling loved. If I remember correctly. And it's the reverse yeah. for women. Uh-huh. Um, and it, like almost like the idea, would you rather be respected and know that people like fear and dislike you? Or would, would you rather be loved but feel like they them feel like you're kind of incompetent as a person you know what i'm saying right. like or not not capable so there's no respect there and i feel like i don't know how to answer that question but i'm probably not the right barometer for that because i'm not like like the industrious like mm-hmm. guy that wants to go start a factory and you know um i don't care to be feared i like this you know <laughs> yeah whatever yeah. that is yeah i don't care to be feared i don't want to be feared um unless I, there's a moment where you know, I have to turn on the monster. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I think they go hand in hand. You know, I think mm-hmm. that like respect, like how I would love and respect Sydney as my wife, right? Just as an example, um, had had a very long week at work. Uh, one of our guys was out with the Rona, so it all fell like all the kids' classes, everything fell on me. And you know, I had a really tough training session yesterday. I taught the morning class. Was up early. So I skipped last night's training session and went home and to do homework for grad school. So it wasn't like I was like just hanging out, but I was like, I think it would make Sydney happy if I unloaded the dishwasher. And so I think in that way, it's like, that is an act of love. And it's also an act of respecting her time too, Mm -hmm. because she would come home. She's had a long day as well. And if I didn't do it, she would have to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I kind of, as much as I love Tolstoy, I, I kind of disagree, but not full, not fully mm-hmm. because at mm-hmm. the same time, like I see someone on the street and I can love them in a different way than I love, obviously you guys or love Sydney cause I don't know them, but I can still respect them. So even if there's not that deep love, you can still show and res- show someone respect. And that's an act of love to them, at so- least to the extent that you can. One other thing I want to add here about that, because I'm going down the same path of kind of the dichotomy between like, okay, does it fit into, does it fit into love or is it fully separate? So I kind of built that um, caricature, you know, of the the date day of, of the representation of love. The character, a caricature I build for pride, or not pride, excuse me, for respect is like, you know, I think of like, respect me, you know, like 1950s. Yeah type of relationship mm-hmm. where the typical nuclear family but much more in the traditional Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Don't get no respect, I tell you. <laughs> oh. That's <was> terrible. <laughs> you got to get more gravel in your voice. Don't get any respect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at, at uh, impressions and accents, but uh, that doesn't stop your me. Your Scottish is pretty good. It. Anyone that knows me, that doesn't stop me. I love that. But yeah, that's what I think about with respect is like, you know, the respect me. And, and it makes me think to to that question of love versus respect. Is respect not bound to pride? In what way? What do you mean? I think I know what you mean. If you're wanting respect, is that not ultimately a, a like a prideful statement of like, I, I want to be more valued. And it's not even so much like a yearning of love, but more of mm. a, a yearning for 
attention or a yearning for um, some kind of validation that's not in yeah. just complete um, connection. Yeah, I think there's a difference in like 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 asking for respect or trying to get respect and uh, it just emanating with pride too you know like there's pride like the pride of a lion mm -hmm. and then there's pride coming from like an insecurity or an insecure place of like i got my pride so pride is that that door can swing both ways so yeah i think uh yeah it's kind of like that blend between being nice and being kind you know love and respect i guess respect would be nice and love would be kind kindness um, but yeah, pride. I, let me, let me just add, because I think y'all are right to an extent, but I think once again, it's the importance of language, right? The importance of words. I think the English language is very versatile, you know? Um, but it also is limiting because, because, and this might also just be a symptom of our culture now, but the fact that I can say, I can express my enjoyment of Taco Bell in the same way that express my admiration for my wife is sad. Because I, 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 I could say, I love Taco Bell. And if I were to say to someone, yeah, I like Taco Bell, they're like, hmm, do you really? Even though, the, <laughs> even though the word like means you enjoy. And that's what I mean by love. Like I really enjoy, you know, and I'm just using Taco Bell as an example, right? I do like Taco Bell. But, you know. Crunch Wrap Supreme. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. So, But that's the thing. It's like in other languages in the Greek language, there were, I think four words for love mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that all describe different aspects. Eros, agape, philos, uh, philos for brotherly. Mm -hmm. What, what's the other one? I always forget the other. Oh, uh, uh, I can't remember. There's a fourth one. Yeah. Yeah. At least a fourth one. I think there might even be a fifth, but in, in English, we just have the word love and we live in such a hyperbolic culture. It's like the fact that we can't separate between our enjoyment of something or and, and our admiration for the person that's most important to us, I think is probably a deeper symptom than we, that, than we actually give it credit yeah. for. So the same thing with respect uh, and pride, like we were talking about. There, there is a pride that's positive. That's like, yes, right? I'm proud of my... I'm proud of my nephew. You know, I'm proud of my wife for getting out there and doing the battle for the blue belt and fighting. And I'm like, yes, this is good. Then there's a pride that comes from insecurity in the same way. There's a respect that comes like a demand for respect that comes from insecurity. And then there's gravitas. Mm -hmm. You meet those people that carry weight in the room and you can't help, but like look at them and be like, wow, that's admirable. Mm -hmm. So if I want respect, it's because it's earned respect because I'm an admirable person. Mm -hmm. And I, and I have grown and that's across. even respect you can offer your enemies yeah. that you can respect them. And in fact, if you don't respect them, it's probably to your own detriment going back to your, yes, I want to bounce off of you and going back to your original question, uh, about love and respect. I think you can have one without the other, but it doesn't work both ways. You know what I mean? Like to your point, respect, I'd be curious to know the different iterations of what that word means. Mm -hmm. Uh, cause it could be awe. It could be like ethics, you know what I mean? It could be a lot of different things. I think you can have uh, respect without love, like you can respect an enemy, uh, but you can't have love without respect. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It's not love then. I think it's interesting that in the fruit of the spirit, respect isn't one of them. You know what I mean? Mm. But 
here's a little tidbit I, I want to offer here. Kick off, if, kick off of y'all is uh, always reading up on uh, research and surveys and stuff in, in the psychology world for for what I do, and one and they're always interesting. And one of the things one of one of them that came out is uh, a sur- they surveyed a bunch of people in relationship and asking. Um, you know, some common questions like inside that are often found inside a relationship. And one of the things that came out is the number one complaint, uh, that women have to their male partners, uh, is, can you guys guess what it is? It's the number one answer that comes up on the number one complaint that females have towards their male partners. They don't listen. Yep. That's it. That's the number one thing. You're not listening to me. Hmm. So just think about that. And anyone that's in a relationship, just think about if that's come up. Um, And then on the other side of it, the number one complaint that men have to their, to their female partners, you have a guess? They don't listen. She doesn't respect me. Mm. That's the number one complaint. And I think that that's means something and says something perhaps about the masculine feminine kind of dynamic that the number one thing that generally speaking that women based on the survey keep running into, it's like, ah, oh, man, this is just the thing, you know, is he's not, he doesn't listen to me. Mm-hmm. And then he makes, it makes me think about that. What about the nail video? If anyone hasn't seen that, uh, where typically generally speaking, men are kind of more wired to fix and women and women are more wired to connect. Mm-hmm. And so we can miss each other in a conversation. Uh, and so kind of going into that, um, if you remember the video, she's telling him about this nail that's in her head, but she doesn't see the nail, but she's mm. just describing the pain Yeah, and he's looking at her and he's, he's trying to get the nail out and she's uh, upset because you're not listening to me. It's not about the nail. And from the male's perspective, they're both right in, in some, right. in some beautiful ways, which is why the video is hilarious and has like a hundred million views or something. But but he's, he's trying to get the nail out. And so in her mind, in that, in that conversation that he's not hearing her, um, you're not listening to me. I'm describing the pain and he was listening, but from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's interesting. And then from the other side, um, the number one complaint for men is that she doesn't respect me. So think back into your relationship or relationships that you've been in. And is that something as a man that comes up for you? Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the pride thing because some men demand that the woman respects them and, but, but they act, but they act like fools or they're, they're immature. And that's, that's, that's where it kind of flips. I want to add something there. I think, um, that's really interesting. What's really interesting about that. I think primarily is that there's a common thread there is, and that thread is that there's miscommunications right? Like he, she doesn't feel like she's heard. He doesn't feel like he's valued for the things that he's doing. My point in what I was saying previously about, you know, love and respect is if your partner is not communicating that they respect you, doesn't that, isn't that somehow tied into love? Because it's like, she's not communicating in some way that I'm loved and appreciated. She's not uh, communicating well enough of the things that I do 
or what I contribute. And I think that that isn't that just a communication of love and not even like respect, like you said, it's so vague, right? There's pure forms of love, but is there a pure form of respect? Oh, I, I absolutely believe you're right on the money with that. Because, you know, once again, words are words and they have many different meanings. But like if I were showing up to a meeting really late, um, they may feel like I was not respectful of their time. And I would say, I'm sorry, I want to respect your time. So I'm going to let you, you know, in that that's, that's, that's an act of like service almost. And, and also just like, also just being a kind person because at the end of the day, everyone, everyone's busy. And so you can respect someone's time. You can respect someone's character, which it means like you have like an admiration. I think I totally, he, here's one thing. And I hope Sydney won't get mad at me for this. We communicate I so excited when you start. I know. No, like I mean, that. we communicate oh so well. <laughs> Sydney and I communicate so well um, because we both are, you know, we both have our quirks, right? Um, and there are some times where she'll say something to me in a tone that's hurtful, where I feel like I'm being talked to like a child, you know? And I'll say, I didn't like that. She's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, you know? And she's so quick to apologize there because she loves me and she knows that it makes me feel bad when she speaks to me that way. And it's not because I'm demanding respect. It's just at the end of the day, it's like, it, it feels like I, I want to be valued as a man as well. And there are other times where I say things and there, I, I come across too harsh. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I can, I can be, uh, not aggressive, but maybe, maybe cold, you know, mm -hmm. or just more just like direct in a way that can be kind of barbed mm -hmm. and she'll tell me that was, I didn't like that. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Like, mm -hmm. and that's just natural in relationships. You're going to run into those sort of disagreements. That's I so think good, the important, man. I think the respect part of that is we recognize when what we've done has been hurtful and we apologize. And that's both an act of love and respect. And I don't think you can, I don't think you can take those two things apart, you know? So it sounds like we should take out respect and maybe insert valued. Maybe to an extent. I could see that. But For I most I, people. I, my, my first reaction was like, oh, I don't know, the further we get into this conversation, I don't want to take out respect. I think it's good to happen there. But yeah, I see what you're saying. It's you're actually coloring the word now a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately, the, the highest form of respect, I think, is awe. It's reverence. It's perhaps even worship. And maybe that's like the top of the pyramid where, where love and respect come together mm. is this moment of I'm so small compared to you mm. or compared to this. Interesting. But yeah, the, the pride thing's an interesting uh, way to kind of parse that up because it, it can go wrong it can, like in our in our brokenness we can we can try to demand it i guess trying to demand it demand yeah. even trying to demand love you know mm -hmm. yeah i think maybe it's for for respect it's because you can love someone and then but still not treat them with respect all the time you may still have that love Very so true. respect may be this uh, a component but not the fullness right mm -hmm. but for example if you decide to voice something that matters to you. The person that loves you, if they love you, um, hopefully will hear that and say, okay, I want to respect that that's something that he values, that he, mm -hmm. that he or she values. Maybe it's not even valuing you because that is kind of wrapped up in love. But the respect is more so about external things. Like 
like Sydney, it hurts my feelings when you talk to me that way. Um, and, she, and in the respect isn't, okay, yes, I'll, I'll do what you say. It's okay. I love you. And so I want to respect the fact that that is something that's important to you. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that y'all do that. I mean, that's so, that's so good and, um, healthy yeah. and, co- and, and comforting to hear, you know? Um, yeah, I, I come keep coming back to this as I'm, you know, as we all just kind of, I love the format of this podcast because we, uh, you know, Lacey's been listening to a few episodes and mm-hmm. which has been super cool because I, I kind of set it up where it's like, uh, you know, I, you know, you don't, you know, kind of nonchalant, like, oh, you don't have to listen to it. No big deal. But inside I'm like, I want her to listen to it. Yeah. I want her to like, I, we had this conversation yet two days ago where uh, I was like, you know, you don't have to listen to that. You know, don't, I don't want you to feel obligated. And I'm just like buffering myself because really I want her to listen to it. And really I want her to like totally admire me. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my husband's amazing. <laughs> Which all comes from, you know, it, you know, it's this desire. I ha- I want to be respected mm-hmm. by her in that way. So we, I actually confessed that the other day. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, you know, when I, yeah. anyway, I was kind of going around about what I really wanted, I, you know, mm-hmm. but I can't force her to like it or force that admiration or anything like that but it was just kind of a funny thing to be honest about but yeah i keep coming back to that division between uh like trying to demand it trying to earn it so respect love trust uh is it something because you can go so you can look at it both ways is it something that like do you do you let's, let's say trust like is trust earned or is it is it given you know what i mean mm both it's there's both there's you can apply it both ways is is love earned or is it given i could see well maybe i don't know if you can earn love i I don't know but maybe that one's a little bit different but but respect is it earned or is it given and in what are in and who and what are we respecting a person an idea an institution you know like for instance like the office of the president doesn't it shouldn't matter who's in there there in my view there needs to be a respect for the office that kind of thing so that's like respect for like a chair. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, first rule of firearms, if you know, the, the day you stop respecting your weapons, the day you need to not pick it up ever again mm-hmm. or with motorcycles, that's like the everyone, when, when you ride motorcycles, when I used, uh, when I bought my, my bike, uh, years ago, um, that was the first thing that the guy I bought it from, he's like, is this your first bike? And I'm like, yeah, and I was just like a kid and I bought this crotch rocket, you know, it's amazing. This Yamaha R6. Uh, and the first thing he said was, um, Hey, the day you're not afraid of this thing is the day you sell it. Hmm. That was interesting. Hmm. So in that, is there, is that once again, just an imperfection of language in the sense that is fear built into respect naturally, or is it just a type of respect? You know, cause it, because once again, like, I think you can be respectful without having fear. Mm-hmm. But I think it's part of it, especially in the case of like a, a motorcycle or a gun, right? Or something dangerous. Yeah, something dangerous. Isn't it interesting? Don't mean to, I'm sorry, sorry no, to cut good. you off. Uh, isn't it interesting? The, the ver, some of the verbiage in the Bible that's always been like, what does that mean? Is the fear of the Lord, yeah. like to fear God. Cause I'm like, what does that really mean? to fear God, like, aren't we supposed to, isn't it supposed to be like this loving, safe thing, you know, like the eagle in the nest and I'm like safe in the wings and, but there's like a fear and like, what does that mean to fear God? Cause you're on the path if you fear him. 
and that to kind of tip in the hat to, to you, maybe that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And yeah, the fear of God's the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. What does that mean? And maybe it's just the capability, you know, like I think of, there's the verse that, uh, Jesus says, like, don't be afraid of the man who can kill the body, but not kill the soul. Be afraid of the one who can, you know, destroy both soul and body. Interestingly enough, I think if you continue with the context there, he's not saying that that's God's desire is to destroy the soul, but that that's something he's capable of. And yet here is the, the way out, right? Here, here is the, the pathway. Um, and so it's like to, once again, we talked about Aslan last week and we're going to talk about him again, uh, that the idea that Aslan had gravitas in the Chronicles of Narnia, he walked into a place and every eye was on him and he was a lion, but he was kind and he was good. But if he had to, he was still a lion, right? Mm. That's someone you respect because cross him in the wrong way and you do not have the strength or capability to deal with the power of that lion. Yeah. But you also know that in love, when the relationships in right in righteousness and in rightness, um, that is a, a power and a strength that isn't oriented towards mayhem, but oriented towards loving what's what I'm looking for deeply and richly yeah. like, like you can orient that power into how deep you can love someone or how deep you can serve someone. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like to play off of that, that, and this is going to be a generalization, I guess, but in the, in relationship between a man and a woman, like if I could be so bold as to like, let's just say, let's say maybe a lion represents the man. And so there's a respect kind of like what we talked about last week, a respect for like the danger and the, the, um, the strength. Um, and for the w- woman, maybe it's like the respect you have for the ocean, mm. you know, this deep and un- unfathomable mi- uh, mystery that's meant to be ex- and explored in beauty. Yeah. The, the feminine nature. And yeah, I love that. And I actually touched on that recently seeing just being able to bear witness to the incredible experience of seeing my wife, the, this person that I love deep, more deeply than anyone on the planet, uh, to see her experience the birthing process and give birth and, Hmm. and embody the feminine nature to such a degree of like, it was so deep and and powerful and majestic and mysterious. And it's like, Oh my God. And and to see her holding the baby and doing all those mommy things. It's like, there is a deep respect there. It's like, it's like the ocean. It's beautiful. And it's, it's, uh, the quest, the call to adventure is to explore her, you know, in her femininity. And, uh, yeah, there's a respect there, you know, it's and like there's that, a strength. This there. thing could swallow you up too Yeah, in the mystery, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a strength. I, it's so interesting, you know, archetypally represented, you know, um, the siren, you know, in Greek mythology, mm, like, yeah, like yeah. the ultimate beauty that can, as you said, swallow you up if you aren't 
careful, you know? Like, there's just something about that's rep- Medusa. She looks at you, you turn to stone, you freeze, you know? I think it's very interesting that she also has a head full of snakes. Um, that's, uh-huh. a whole, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's very, like, you hear the stories of mothers who in a moment of... Um, moment of need are able to like lift cars off of their children. Mm-hmm. There's a deep, rich, like primal strength that they carry. And I, it's very interesting that that is being scorned as old fashioned when there's just something that's just, there's the, this pinnacle of strength and beauty and power in motherhood that I think is just so cool that y'all are getting to witness. And I'm excited that one day I'll get to witness as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's respect in that way. And then there's like the self-sacrifice of man, essentially like throughout time, we're the ones that went to war. We're ultimately expendable, you know, (laughs) like, like if it came down to it, one man could repopulate, you know, the earth. So we're, we're like, we're expendable. And so, but there's like, you think about something else that's respectable is my, my grandparents, my grandfather's. Um, World War Two. They both they both were in the the army, and they they believed in something so much that they were willing to die as young men. Um, they joined willingly, so they they weren't drafted. They were like, "I'm signing up." If I remember correctly, without even knowing what they're getting into. Exactly. I mean, history in hindsight, we we know what the war was like, and we know that 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 we won. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know any of that. They just yeah. knew that hey, here's this thing happening, and a bunch of people were like, "All right, I'm in." Yeah, it's like uh, with what's happening now, it's like if Russia invaded Ukraine like they're planning to do and we're like, let's go get them. But we have no context to know how that's going to plan out, pan out. That sounds cold. (laughs) It does sound cold. (laughs) Bring a jacket if you're going. But see, so that that's respectable. Like that, that is a that's something you can look at and say, I, I respect those people because of their character. They're worthy of my respect for their sacrifice. And then, and then for like, like a mother, like to love a child well, and to have the strength to intentionally raise a child, um, and do all the other things that are expected of women to do like, and do it with a, like a good heart and good nature. That's respectable. That's someone who's worthy of our respect. Um, and so I think coming back around to it is I think there's a healthy respect that is earned and an unhealthy respect that's demanded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Man, you, you have such a rich legacy. Yeah. Hearing about your family and you talking about your dad, and I can't wait to meet your dad. That's and you too, you, you, you too, never Jay. met my dad. No, I've never met, ah, I've really? met your brother. So yeah. great, man. Yeah. They're, it, they're, yeah. they're like, they're like the cleavers <laughs> when you first meet them uh-huh. you're like there's no way this family's actually like this at least i felt that way and then they welcomed me into their family and i was there like every weekend literally every weekend um and yeah just like showered with food and and all the good things wow. that a just teenager needs like a, a little segue but not for long um i think it was last time i was there not not this christmas but the last time the first thing we did when we got to the house and it's spontaneous, we don't plan this is my dad had earth, wind and fire playing on the vinyl on the record player. Nice. And literally we all just had like a, like a 30 minute dance party in the kitchen. 
Like that's the kind of stuff that my family just does, you know, just Amazing. off the cuff. And, and it's just, it's just fun. And anyone that knows, I, I think this is true about your whole family, but they can all sing. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that unfair? <laughs> you got, you got all the good stuff. You, I mean, all the, the blood that was coursing through your, your grandfather's veins mm. when they joined the war, that blood's coursing through you. You know what I mean? Like you have access to the earned, uh, the earned uh, strength that they they pass down. It's very metaphysical, but that's like a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we inherit from our fathers all the way down the line. How often? Anyway, I'm, I guess this is tangential, so I can back off. I love it. This idea of ancestry and ancestors, and how, we don't really think about it, but yeah. we are the we owe everything to them. We are the product of all their choices. It's interesting. I, I, um, real quick, real quick, my, my, my grandfathers. Um, so my great grandfather on my mom's side was born during the civil war. <laughs> so, wow. so my, my grand, again? my great grandfather on my mom's side was born during the civil war. And so, so my, you're only a few generations from mm -hmm. Antietam and my, my grandfather was the youngest of 13 and was born in 1916. And so if he were still alive today, he'd be 105, 106 almost. Um, so it was very spread out. So, but my, my grandfather, my mother's side, he was on, in the Pacific theater during World War II and actually got shot in the head and survived. Jeez. And he came back and he loved to work with his hands. He loved carpentry. Um, and just, I, you know, he died when I was seven. And so there's very little that I remember about him. Um, like specific instances, but I remember, I remember who he was from what I could understand as a seven year old and he was gentle and mm. he was good. Um, that's he, the meekness probably, yeah, that we were talking bro, about probably what he's capable of and then who he was when, when he was able to, to rest and be himself. Um, I remember like he was, he lived with us, he had cancer. He lived with us for a while in our basement and I would go curl up with him in, in the, in his bed down there and we'd watch boxing. And, uh, he loved boxing. He loved watching boxing. Um, and I just remember his, mm. I remember his voice, you know, and, and so, um, really excited to get to see him again one day. And I believe I will. Yeah. Um, but he had strength, you know, and he was a great father to my mom mm. and my father on my, uh, or my grandfather on my dad's side. Um, he was the most generous man I've ever known. And he was funny. He had, he had a humor that he could just like make anything funny. And he was well-respected because of who he was. Um, mm. they, they flew the flag at half mast in his town the day of his funeral, you know, like that's, yeah. that is a legacy, man. Like yeah. he was so influential in that community. They put the flag at half mast. Um, I don't even know if that's really allowed or not. <laughs> you know, I think the government has kind of like sanctioned that, but they did it. Wow. And, uh, so yeah, those, are the, that's the sort of thing that I, I really find really cool. And I wrote a song one time called carry their name. And I was just kind of musing upon the mystery of that, you know? Um, and you said, you know, the same blood courses through their veins. The chorus says who they were is who you are. They aren't here, but they aren't far. The same blood runs through your veins. So thank the Lord for those behind, uh, faces lost to the winds of time and carry their name. Yeah. And, uh, one of the things I was musing on in there is, uh, it's in the color of your eyes. It's in the name your mama calls you. It's in your grandmother's pecan pie recipe. <laughs> like there's this legacy of family that goes back to the beginning of time that 
just one or two changes. If my grandfather had died when he got shot, I wouldn't be here, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's every, every person's a miracle. Every mm-hmm. person's a miracle. Yeah. When you look at what could have happened and what is now, you know? Yeah. Anyways, mm-hmm. tangent, but it's, I think it's powerful to, to think, <laughs> think on that with gratitude. Um, and I know that everyone's family is not perfect. Every, you know, there, there are families that are horribly dysfunctional and that hurt people that hurt, you know, but you're here and you have the power to now everyone listening, you have the power to take whatever was done to you and break cycles of, mm-hmm. of victimization, mm-hmm. break, tra- break cycles of trauma. And you get to start the legacy that in two or three generations you're being talked about as, as the man or woman that was worthy of being respected. Yeah. And so I encourage you the things, you know, you need to be doing to create a legacy to leave behind that's positive and it's good for the world. Start that today. Right. Memento Mori, right? Remember you will die. And in remembering that we will die, we have to think about the legacy that we leave behind. Hmm. And you can either pass, you can pass down your legacy. You can either pass down your legacy of the trauma that you've experienced and that your family has experienced, or you could change it. So what, where do you want to fall? What do you want to be known for? And legacy doesn't happen in some, you know, ethereal future. It happens right now in the little moments yeah. and hard decisions. That's where legacy lies. Brent, you said something one time that has stuck with me. I don't know if this was originally your your quote or if it's something you you just use, but I use it all the time now. Um, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Yeah, you know things that happen to you um, that are horrible. It's not your fault that they happen to you, but it is your responsibility to make something mm-hmm. with it. And and yeah. I would like to hear from your perspective as a counselor um, what that looks like. Like, like, what do you think is the process for someone who is maybe since we're talking about family, right? Since we're, you know, we've gone off on that family tangent now, what do you say to someone who has a family that, that has broken them and how do they start mm-hmm. to go about changing, um, that legacy? Wow. Well, there's no, there's no nutshell answer that can be sufficient <clears throat> for the depth and the gravity of, of that. but maybe in some ways it has everything to do with respect and love. You know, you, you respect the person's wound. You respect the person that's been wounded and you love, you love them. You know, the, it happens all the time and it's, it happens in our lives that we inherit things or kind of this, in that dichotomy of what can I control and what, what can I not control, which is very important to audit for yourself in many different ways. Um, very, very important. We can expound on that and probably in a whole different podcast, but one of the things that we can't control is what we've been given. We have, we're totally powerless and vulnerable as children. So we just, we have to attach, we have to attach to whoever and whatever's around. And depending on whoever and whatever's around that attachment can either totally empower us or cripple us later in life. Uh, we, we, we inherit, I think the last week we were talking about mimicry and mimicking and mirroring. It was so cool. Yesterday I saw Amos mirror Lacey. Mm. She was mm-hmm. eating something and Amos starts going, 
<laughs> it was so cute. And so I was like, oh, he's mirroring. It was so cool to see this up front. I've been reading about it for so long. But yeah, it's not your fault that, let's say, you inherited uh, an alcoholism, a disposition towards alcoholism, for instance. That's not your fault. And it is your responsibility. You know what I mean? It's not your fault. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like some of that feeling of like life's not fair, you know? some level you kind of have to deal with that uh it's not fair uh but it is your responsibility meaning you're allowed to feel that injustice and we want to be in that space you know and honor it but you can't stay there at some point you got to stand up and and walk out of there and this is like um especially in trauma, there's a lot of people who, and it makes sense why, why we do this, um, who identify so strongly with their trauma that it becomes their identity. You know, like I'm a, I'm a such and such survivor, or I guess in the case of alcoholism, you know, like I'm a, I'm a child of an adult alcoholic or I'm an adult child of an alcoholic or, or I'm a, I'm an alcoholic or whatever the thing is, you know? Uh, but I think there's some trappings in that too in regards to identifying too much with your wound. Cause again, the like suffering is not the, is not the story. It's, it's the adversary or the mechanism or the agent. It's the inciting thing. Hmm. Love belonging is the story. Like when you drill down deep enough, that's the story. So whatever you've inherited or whatever your trauma might be, um, or let's say it was a belligerent parent or something like that. Again, that's not your fault. And I'm, and I have all the compassion and the, hopefully can muster all the, the capacity to, to love that person well in that place. And eventually we got to, and you get to choose, like, I'm not going to push you, but just know, like, I'm going to sit here as long as, as we can, as, as you need to just know that eventually, I mean, the choice is yours. You can stay here, but the call is at some point to stand up and walk out of that where you don't so deeply identify with the trauma anymore. You know, I, I think you I'm, lose part of your individualism in the moment where you become, you embody the trauma yeah. instead of it being a part of your story and moving from it. Yeah, exactly. And you know, our, we are being kind of carved by the great, the great artist. you know, like we are being chipped away at. And so there are certain wounds that really empower and, and that impact doesn't really empower our story when we certainly when we experience redemption, like those things that threw us into, into hell become the very thing that like bring us into heaven when we experience mm -hmm. redemption and that, but we can't identify too strongly with the wound, I think, because then it won't fully heal and it'll kind of inhibit us from being able to move out of it. So I, I guess I could go real, I guess I don't want to go off on tangents with that, but going back to your question about, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility, which I, I think that most of my stuff is uh, borrowed, you know, things that I've read or picked up or heard somewhere and I just kind of synthesize it. And, but I think that is something I said like mm -hmm. that, that actually is like my, I used that as well. So I don't know if it's from you. Maybe it's not mine. Well, no, 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 no. no. I, I, I heard it from me. you the first time for sure. It's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, Pete Townsend, uh, from the who was interviewed years ago. Cause remember in like the eighties and nineties hip hop artists and pop artists were sampling stuff 
for the first time. And it was like this big copyright issue. Like, what is that all? And so a bunch of people were suing each other. Like, you can't use that. And um, like, doom, 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 right? Yeah. All that. But anyway, Pete Townsend was asked about one of the Who um, guitar chords that was ripped into a, like someone sampled it and created a whole song and, and, he, and he never su- sued them. Uh, and he was asked about that. Like, why didn't you pursue that? You know, like that's like millions of dollars. And he said something like, um, you know, you know, it's hey man, it's all just three chords, you know, like this is what we're all doing. We're all robbing from, from everybody. That's how it works. Mm -hmm. We synthesize what's already here. We, we receive what's been passed down to us and we create something new with it, but it's not new necessarily. A question I have going off of what Spencer said, and this might be too too big of a ask because again it's it's really um you're our, our therapist here so if it's hard to answer that's fine but trying to think pragmatically about what Spencer was asking let's say we have listeners who feel as though their trauma or whatever's holding them back is you know too much to bear they don't know where to begin of changing their legacy into something that empowers them that can become a part of their story and character where would be a good place to start you know we obviously have great therapists there's no great resources maybe maybe give them a spectrum like if you're like and obviously it's very interpersonal right so it would be hard to exactly diagnose but what would be some good avenues for people to consider of different financial uh, bearings, you know, who can afford a book or some people can afford therapy sessions What, what would be a good place to look? Yeah. About specifically about, uh, people that have have had trauma. Yeah. Overcoming trauma. Yeah. Well, the, the governing word for trauma over the years has been suffering. Trauma is like this new word that we use, but it's just suffering. It's something that was an intense enough amount of pain or fear or both. That's what trauma is. That's what suffering is. So it's, it's universal. So the first thing I would say, the first thing I would do is just normalize it. Like we all get it to some degree and it's not fair. It's not equitable in the, in how it's parsed out. Some people, holy cow, man, hearing some stories of people's childhoods and, and what they had to endure. It's like, Oh my God, I don't, there's right there. There's so much respect that they're even alive. You know, so I would normalize it first, but, but man, you gotta, you gotta notice where it hurts. That's your responsibility, your body, your life, no matter what's been passed down to you or what's happened to you. This is a this is like an ownership piece. I don't think we can heal our wound until we own them. And that's not owning. Like if you're a victim of some terrible thing, that's not like owning that you deserve that or owning that it's okay that that happened, but it's owning that, Hey, th- I'm looking at you and I see that thing's festering. Now I would love to know the story about how that happened, but importantly, like that needs, like, what do you want to do with that? Like, do you want to heal that? And and that means you got to look at it. And that means, hmm. you know, so therapy, uh, there's, you know, there's therapies are obviously a great way to do that. Um, and not every therapist is the same. Mm-hmm. I, I would go to an existential one. 
uh, because other, other ther there's the kind of two layers to therapy, you know, there's like the coping skills crew, uh, where it's like how to mitigate stress and grief and anxiety and how to like learn how to like get your feet under you and kind of manage. Uh, and so that's fine. Cause that's, that's successful. Like that's, uh, that's better than what I was learn how to deal with that. But the call to adventure isn't going to, into the deep waters. Like you can learn how to manage it. And I would say that's victory number one, cause that's going to help you. But then the call to adventure is victory. Number two is now that you, now that you kind of know that you can kind of be okay in that it's not necessarily comfortable but victory number two, the kind of that call is like, maybe you can heal that. Maybe, and, you know, maybe you don't need to manage it eventually. And so, uh, as far as different financial points, you know, I mean, therapy in general, it's, there's so many different ways you can afford it now, but yeah, books, I mean, uh, whatever you're maybe journaling. Cause you, you said maybe the first step would be just getting it out there, knowing where it hurts and just to try to express what's happened and try to understand it. It's just some kind of writing practice maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Write it down. I mean, talking about stoicism, that's kind of the whole thing is like write it down. Uh, that's it by writing something down. You're already like 10 X into solving it or whatever it is. And so, yeah, I mean, journaling, um, all kinds of books, uh, spiritual communities, you know, this, those spiritual communities are, are how suffering has been dealt with forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and I love that it seems to be like, we're coming back to that as a, as a, as a, as a in, in the secular world, we're coming back to that and just in different ways. But yeah. Um, the other thing too, especially for men is we've been kind of sold this whole John Wayne thing, you know, and we've talked about it a little bit. That's not real. John Wayne isn't John Wayne. Right. You know what I mean? It's a character that he's played and, uh, there's, it's kind of an archetype. Um, but this whole, and, and it's, and it's also like a, an interesting uh, view into how our culture sees itself at that time. And, and that's carried over to this time. Um, kind of the whole independent, I don't need anybody and self-reliant and all that. And, and those are all beautiful things in the right context. But uh, the, the number one thing, and maybe I see with men in particular is, you know, we, oh, we get the wound and we're just like, ah, oh, tis but the flesh wound. And, you know, uh, we kind of downplay it. And I, I joke with Lacey, she saw me um, bail one time. Uh, we were in this in this river with our dogs, kind of playing around, and I slipped and like hit my knee, and it really hurt, hit that. Oh god, it hurt so bad. Even to this day, my knee cracks when I bend over. Uh, and I got up so fast, like oh, no big deal here. <laughs> and she, but she saw what happened, and it was kind of this joke, like you know, you know, babe, the the faster a man gets up, the more it hurt. Mm. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm okay. And, uh, yeah. and, and so there's some, I, I think there's some value in, in grit and being tough for sure. If you want to be a warrior, definitely. Um, but also this idea that men don't need anything, that they're islands to themselves, that the stiff upper lip and all that, that's not, a, that's not doing a service to that person's soul. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you got to know where it hurts and you got to decide what you want to do with it. Um, the choice is yours and there's no judgment. But just know that um, you don't have to stay there. I wonder if John Wayne and all those characters were sort of a, a symptom of an entirely, like a traumatized generation of men. Mm -hmm. Like you think about all of the 
all of the wars that happened and for and really World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, like that was millions of men from the United States, really all around the world, but from the United States where we're from, they were going and they were facing battle, facing death every day. And they come back and it's like now we have we come back and what do we do with this? What do we do with, with what we saw? Mm-hmm. And I think that probably culturally, just in, in, in that time, it was like, well, you have to be the strong provider, right? Which is, I think is true. But at the same time, to do that, they thought they had to bury, mm-hmm. bury the trauma, bury that maybe guilt of what they feel like they did, the shame. And so you had the John Wayne representation of literally, like, as you said, like, I'm an island, I can do this, nothing hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, but in fact, inside they were in turmoil. Yeah. Paired with the warrior archetype and the hero, you know, mm-hmm. which made it more palatable. Yeah. Hopefully. I think I, what's interesting is that like, and I, I'm a sucker for a good Western. Like I love good Western films. I love John Wayne growing up. 1803, baby. You guys watching that? No. Oh, it's I've awesome. Heard, I've heard. Is that the Yellowstone, the new Yellowstone? It's like the Oregon Trail story. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's I the should, prequel to, to Yellowstone. I should watch that. Um, it's cowboys and Indians. But at the same time, the great character, the great heroes, we talked about this last week a little bit, the great heroes struggle and they fail and they feel and they love and there's like this romance attached to them. Um, But you can't be romantic. You can't be, you can't have a great story arc if there's nothing they're afraid to lose. Mm -hmm. Right? Like there's, there's something that they have that they value so much that they would give everything for. And I think where men fall short is to act like they don't have that or to not find what that thing is, not find what hill they're willing to die on. Um, and I think we can numb ourselves out to that. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's just interesting to look at, you know, just as I was like kind of flowing out of talking about my grandparents, my grandfather, what they experienced to the strong, strong man, you know, archetypes of the 60s and 70s and even in the 80s and i'm not saying it's a bad thing because dude john mcclain die yeah, hard schwarzenegger stallone yeah yeah john claude van damme macgyver like all these guys they're well we could macgyver's a little different but we could talk about that yeah but there's like they, they were they were manly men but i think if you don't address the the fear of losing one's love one's whatever it is um, that is the driving force behind the hero. Um, if you don't address the fact that there is a, that there is something inside that's at war with oneself and that feels and that fears, then we're missing, we're missing a huge part of the hero's journey. Yeah. I, you said this one time, Brent, when you were talking about kind of your therapeutic process, because for those who don't know, I'm in grad school as well for clinical mental health counseling. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about, about, trauma right and you even set up like a little like a tableau for me you know you're like okay this is your trauma and this is this is you right and there's a lot of therapy that's like we're gonna start walking you towards that spot in your heart that that you fear most because it was where you feel you were traumatized Mm -hmm. and it's like you're getting close to it and you're like oh this hurts so bad i can't i can't do this i can't face it okay you're good you're good i've got you Mm mm-hmm you know, and it's like you, they, like the therapist can like pull them back away from this thing. 
And it's like you're approaching and it hurts and it's painful and you're like wrestling with whatever it is that's like this gripping you and keeping you in chains. Mm -hmm. And as you're approaching it, rather than marching into it and redeeming it, because I feel like two, I mean, here we go, the harrowing of hell in the, uh, in the Christian story. Mm. For Jesus to redeem hell, he had to go there. He died. He died, and he he went to the lowest level of hell, and he grabbed Adam and Eve by the hand and marched them out. Yeah, kicked down the gates. I just want to cuss right. That's now. the ultimate. Come no, on, dude. Yeah, dude, and that's what it is. Like I think to redeem that, you have to march into it. And so you would say that rather than like pulling them back when they get there, you yeah. say, "I know it hurts." but I'm by your side and we're going to walk into this together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How are we doing on time, Jake? Cause I feel like th there's something really important there. We're but at about one Oh five, but I, honestly it's cool if this is like a hour and a half or let's keep going. I, yeah. I feel like I don't want to stop right in the middle of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Absolutely. And, and that's why I, this is a deeper conversation. I think about, we had talked about last week about uh, danger, the, 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 the value of danger and being dangerous and experiencing and dealing with danger. And uh, be, there's a lot of, I, I'm trying to synthesize this. Well, I'm just going to go for it. So yeah, to describe what you're talking about, it's like, it's like, I don't know if you all can see the table, but you, you, you're doing with your hands. It's like, let's say this is your wound. Bring it closer to you. There, yeah, there you go. A little bit closer to you. There you go. You're right. good. Can you see that? You're let's say this is your wound and this is you. Is that, can you see that? Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so like, say this is your wound and here you are, this is like the, the structure of therapy or the potential of what can, what you can do. So it's like everything inside of you is like, there is this in deep intuitive part of you, um, to con connected to your, to your subconscious that knows, knows exactly what hurts and where it hurts. And, uh, that part of you is going to be like magnetize, like it's going to like magnetize and it's going to draw you into that. It's, it's a, it's a service. It's like, uh, um, Hey, this need, it's like an alarm you need mm. to, Hey, it's like a smoke alarm or something like, Hey, we're on fire here. And so automatically you're going to be kind of drawn into your wound automatically. And so, um, this is where things get so hairy because if we don't know what we're doing or if we don't know we have a wound, then this is where we get drawn into our wound, but we're not really aware of that or what's happening. And so this is where we start getting into some trouble, like trying to cope and manage th that vortex and that energy and that pole, because it's very confusing, especially if it's not conscious. Uh, and so we, this is why in, in like trauma circles and trauma therapy circles, um, there's that phrase, there's many phrases. One of them is, uh, we repeat what we don't repair. Like we're going to keep running into the thing. And it's like, whether we're conscious or not, and it's our job to make it conscious. Carl Jung said what the unconscious fails to make conscious, we will experience his fate. Mm -hmm. And wow. so this idea of like, and you can see it in like, let's say a girl has an, uh, abusive father. Well, we all know the pattern that that girl, if she's not healed in that in time, by the time she starts dating, she's going to seek out abusive partners. And it's kind of like, why? Like, why is that happening? Well, the, the idea is that her wound is causing her to repeat until so that she can repair. And so it's like our unconscious, like a part of our unconscious or our soul, let's say, 
uh, is knows what's happening, knows what where it hurts and 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 why it hurts, and and it, it's like drawing us. It's like it loves us this part of ourselves, and maybe this is God in us, loves us so much that it will it will push us right into the thing that hurts. So it it will it will hurt us. It's like kind enough to hurt us, to allow us to, to, to do or experience something that's really painful. So it's going to draw us into the thing. And it's our job. This is what happens when people come to therapy. This is what they're doing. They're like running into the wall. They're like, they keep wounding themselves. They keep, whether it's an addiction or, or depression or it doesn't matter, or, or like relationship patterns or something. It's like, this is the thing. So if there's a wound, then that you're going to be drawn into that. And you're going to keep repeating that cycle which is why you can't stay in your trauma going back to what I said earlier. Mm. And so this is the look, this is the image or the, the potential is, Hey, you're already going to be drawn into this. This is your wound. And it's also your breakthrough and healing. It's a doorway. Wow. And so you're going to be drawn into it. And so this is kind of those two sides of therapy, two levels of layers of therapy. Um, and this is a deeper conversation. I think to some problems, some, some room for improvement in the, in the therapy space is there are some, I think safety has been made to, we've made too much of safety, way too much of safety uh, in our culture, I think, and also in the therapy space. And the therapy space is predominantly, or let's say it's the majority of therapists are, are female and, and um, rightly so, it's a nurturing field, you know, so mm -hmm. rightly so you're going to have that. Um, and also it can be too, it can be out of balance in that way too, where it's like, everything's about being safe and not being and eliminating any kind of up, upsetness or trigger. And that to me, there's some value in that and like getting safe, you know, there's a time we need to go to the nest or, or the ship needs to go to the Harbor to mm -hmm. get repaired. Uh, but, but a ship isn't meant to stay in the Harbor and the bird's not meant to stay in the nest. Eventually you got to spread the wings and get out there again, or, or the ship, you know, you got to put the sails in and whatever sails down what's the words for that ship ship stuff ahoy anyway. <laughs> but yeah so this Set sail so this is how i look at it is some uh, um i don't mean to be critical but it's an important part of the conversation is one layer of therapy and this is a big part of the therapy space is which is if you're going to choose a therapist i would have some recommendations um one is going to be the first part is grounding and, re and, and making sure that we can move through this where it's not totally overwhelming and it's like we're in an earthquake all the time so there is safety and safety is very important. Like triage, mm -hmm. like in a battle, you go to triage, but you don't stay there. Right. That would be weird. So we're drawn to our wound. And so it's like, Hey, where do you want to go? Like, do you want to go to this wound? You're probably not, but just, but now understand that this is your door. This is your doorway. The only way through is to come back the way you came. And it's going to probably to some degree be about the same amount of pain. And that's scary. And it's your choice. You don't have to do that. But just know that it's like, I'm going to have my hand on your back and I'm not going to push you in there. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to make you do anything. It's this all invitation. But I just want you to know that if you want to be free of this, to be healed, to that, for that, to transmute that scar in, or that wound into a scar, then we got to go here. We got to go here. Hmm. And so this is kind of the process is the closer you get to the wound, the more shaky it gets. And so some people there, they get close to the wound and it gets, starts to get shaky and they're like, ah, you know, I, what do you want to do? Like, I'm right here with you. I'm right next to you. Like, do you want to stay here? Okay, we'll stay here. I'm with you. You're not alone. Um, 
what do you want to do from here? Do you want to go closer? And then I'll go with you. Do you want to back up and kind of regroup? I'll go with you too. It's your choice. I'm. Not, this is your life. This is your choice. And I have no judgment what you do with it. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to follow you. And so, yeah, if you want to go into the wound and experience your freedom, then just know it's going to get shaky. And just know that I'm going to go with you. Uh, but there's something beautiful that happens when we co- when we unite with our wound, our origin, or whatever the thing is, and it's a doorway we can transcend the other side. And so, in some ways, going back to the idea of safety is that's not safe necessarily. Like you have to embrace the pain and the suck at some level to get there. And that's the why anyone who's gone through trauma therapy is so brave and so courageous because, holy cow, man, most people don't do it. You know, it's, it's really scary. So, yeah, I, I think in general, this is the set. This is the thing. You know, what do you want to do with it? It's a call. It's an invitation. Uh, and then also don't make too much of safety. Like if it's triage time, let's triage. But you can't stay there. You know, you, you have to embrace a certain element of danger, you know. So, yeah, I think that's that. One of the things that you said that... um I really understood only recently was you go back to um, like familial patterns. And I never really saw that. I mean, especially since I had a healthy upbringing. Um, but I've seen that in parenting and, and I'm, I'm excited for you to see this as well, or at least notice it is you can have every intention in the world to be different than your parents or to do kind of let your parents parenting be the their ceiling be your floor right that you can build off of and hopefully through intentionality break some of those less healthy patterns but when stress happens and you aren't as intentional you become your parents so fast if you're not careful the things that you said the things that your parents said to you that you hated you're going to say to your kids, you're going to catch yourself doing it. Um, some of those same patterns of oh, discipline, yeah. you could be a soft parent and have the intentionality of soft parenting of being a gentle parent. But then the minute stress or some trigger happens, you're your dad once again. Mm. It's, and I've only recently seen that in my own life. Um, it, it's been really interesting. Yeah. I have a couple thoughts. Could I interject? Please. Um, Dude, I love it when you talk, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. I, I'm interested in two things. Um, first off, I want to get your opinion on this based off of what we're saying. Um, I, I think that the most powerful scene, one of, the, one of the most powerful scenes in all of literature and in film is Frodo and Sam on Mount Doom. Mm. Um, Frodo is carrying the burden of the whole world in his pocket. And he has within himself um, the strength, hopefully at this time, to toss that burden into its place of origin, the fire, and watch it burn away. And Sam, his best friend, um, the one of the greatest characters in literature, uh, just good, once again, good and strong, um, he says to Frodo, as Frodo's collapsing, as he's approaching the fire, he said, I can't carry 
your burden for you, but I can carry you. Yeah. And he picks Frodo up on his shoulders and walks him up to the fire. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's a scuffle around the fire, which, you know, is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of symbolic imagery there that I think we could go into a whole podcast about. Can but, today be like an eight hour podcast? <laughs> yeah. We, I feel like we could keep going and keep going. Yeah. But would you say that's a, cause I know that you're saying like, I'm not going to force you into this. Right. But I am going to walk beside you. Is that a fair, um, representation of the therapy process to Sam and Frodo like in the moment like you cannot carry the burden but you can be like the shoulder they can lean on yeah absolutely by the way Sam is one of the my favorite characters oh, yeah. of all time yeah absolutely it's a, it's a supporting role and there is an important distinction too about ownership you know like it's not your fault but it's your responsibility I can't do it for you nor would I want to nor or even try that would be so harmful uh, and it would rob you of all of your power, the power in this, in wound healing, you know? It's like, every we've seen it in all the Disney movies, like that moment where, like, death becomes, is reborn, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of Beauty and the Beast at the end, when the Beast becomes the man in that glorious moment. Uh, my wife made a funny comment uh, the other day that she, she's been listening to some of the podcasts, and she's like, gosh, uh, well, she said it in it's kind of a different way, but her, but what she but the what she pointed out, let's say, was that um, kind of in some of our dynamics, like uh, Spencer, you bring up so many uh, deep and thoughtful and uh, rich like uh, literature, and uh, and Jake, you you bring so much so much of the kind of like light speed, um, pragmatic um, uh, like. Um, rational and reasoned and thoughtful uh, like uh, speech and talk and conversations and and I bring up movies <laughs> I'm like oh okay um, but yeah um, yeah I've heard it or I've heard it said this way hey I can't I can't take this from you I learned this from one of the, one of my mentors um, at Onsite is kind of this idea of she calls it hold the sad and she was like, how big is, and it's, it's so incredible when you, when you see this done, she did it to me and it was really powerful. And so she had me kind of come up with something that I'm really like, it's kind of like a wound or something I'm really got a lot of sorrow about or something like that, or it could be big. It could be like, what's, what hurts, you know? Um, and she goes, how big is it? Use your arms. And so, you know, I'd, I'd do something like, like that. And then she came right up behind me and she put her hands right under my elbows just gently, just mm. like that. And she goes, she goes, I can't take this from you, but I can't help you hold it if you want. And it's like, because <laughs> I'm not alone in it now. Yeah. And I also get it. Like Sam carrying Frodo, like, hey, I can't do this part for you. This is yours, but I can carry you. And so, yeah, I think that's such a beautiful picture of that is, I, you know, I can't do it for you, nor do I want to, and that wouldn't be helpful. And but I'll but I'll go with you. Mm-hmm. I'll be with you, um, and I'll walk you all the way to the door, baby. And see, and and I'll and I'll be the guy like hu- like hugging you and high fiving you on the other side. And and anyone who's experienced a moment like that, it's, I mean, that's what it's all about. Mm. It's glorious. One more thought I had. 
just apply this once again to our, like, this is the podcast for dreamers, right? This is the podcast of adult imagination in the sense like we are adults, we're growing up, but we also want to stay in tune with our child, right? Um, the, the vividness, and the imagination of a child. Childlike, not childish. Right, exactly. What, what role does imagination play in therapy? I mean, everything. You know, a couple podcasts ago, we went real deep into that in some ways, but in in this context, everything's imagination, everything. And so, for instance, different, different, uh, therapeutic, uh, modalities, let's say are going to approach different layers of the, the human experience or the soul. Maybe like I keep using that word again, soul, cause it's kind of like, that's what it's all about. Uh, but anyway, um, there are like certain interventions that are about analyzing your thoughts. Let's say, let's look at it like left brain and right brain. So some of therapy, which is important, one whole layer of it is, and this is kind of where therapy came from was psychoanalysis that turned into uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and a few other interventions that were very much about, um, understanding things from a rational and reasoned perspective, Socratic, the Socratic method of thinking. So where, what's the evidence for that thought? And so is that a rational thought or an irrational thought? And, um, there's a lot of value in that, but that's not going to use any imagination that doesn't in, I- evoke imagination. That's uh, that evokes the rational mind mm-hmm. and the rational mind is very important. Um, and some therapies and some therapists, that's all, they just hang in that circle. They hang in that sphere of, you know, if you can grasp things rationally, which presupposes objectivity, I think, but if you can grasp things, grasp things rationally, then you can see that some of your thoughts or experience, um, is not rational. It's like tricking you. It's like a hall of mirrors kind of thing. And so they just, it's kind of like, you just learn to dismiss that. Don't take it seriously. And in some ways that's helpful, I think definitely. Uh, but the way that I've been taught and trained in therapy from a trauma informed perspective and and in the experiential model is that's not enough. You know, we, uh, I don't think that's ultimately going to be helpful for most people because there's a whole other side of our experience, which is the right brain. This is the realm of intuition, imagination, you know, it's like space time, our sense of time and space and, uh, creativity and abstraction and, uh, emotion. And so that's where all the imagination is. And in my view, if you can't access that part, you won't fully heal. You're just going to be in that first layer of learning how to cope. Uh, but imagination is kind of going back to evoking the inner, invoking the inner child, uh, where, you know, the first part of our brain when we're born is the right brain. That's the brain that's online. And which is why, you know, children are so magical in that way and so imaginative and free and unbound, unbridled in that way. So I think the, you know, the, the rationality piece, the left brain piece is the last piece. I don't even worry about that unless we need to up front. That's like the capstone. That's the one that, that retells the story. You know what I mean? That that's the narrator at the end that, that sums it all up. Mm-hmm. I love that. But the imagination, the right brain, this is the deep work, the experiential work. And psychodrama is one of those interventions we've, we've played around with a, a little bit. 
that just, it, it bypasses left brain completely. Don't worry about that. Let's get right into the, the weird kind of goo, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think that probably is a good way to explore that mm-hmm. is rationality and reason are good. And you can see this too in the division between East and West in many ways and culture, cultural divide. Uh, the Western world has definitely, you know, children of the enlightenment. Um, we are, and we've built, there's a lot of value in that, you know, and the scientific method, uh, was kind of refined and, and polished up in that, uh, movement. And then that led to the industrial revolution, which, uh, created, which lifted uh, so many people out of poverty for the first time in, in the entire planet. And there's so much value to it, but also it can become like this rational machine that dehumanizes Mm -hmm. when it's taken too far and we're in our culture we're experiencing all of that the results of that the 20th century just look at that uh but the human being the soul the right brain the imaginative part of you must be reckoned with it always will yeah and so that's you know it's kind of like uh atheists aren't really atheists you know what i mean it's like they they're just denying the story that they're living in doesn't mean that it's not affecting them that it is not also interacting with them. They're just denying it. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, you can't have, I think, I think reason and rationality are very important, but just like in the cycle of life, it's not there at the beginning. It comes later mm-hmm. and then we can get stuck there. We can like build a whole world there and then forget right. about, and then our heart haunts us ever since. So like the therapeutic process um, would be essentially you have the symptom management, which may be that more like left brain rational. It's like, it's like taking a pill to lower inflammation. Hmm. Um, but you don't want to just take the pill to lower inflammation your whole life. At the end, at the end of the day, you want to get to the root right. and pull it out. Yeah. And so to, to get to the root, you can stay in that place where you just manage the symptoms for the rest of your life. And, and that's better than how it was. Exactly. Yeah. It's better than how it was. But if you want to get to the point where you're healed and you're thriving again, or for the first time, you have to move into that layer of intuition and mystery. And as you said, the goo, you know, it's like there's something there that that has to be reckoned with that you may not be able to understand, but it's still real. It's still metaphysically true. Yeah. And if I can offer this, that it requires ego death. Everything no matter how you explore this, it seems like ego death is always the thing. Uh, the cycle of the Phoenix that rises from the ashes. So whether you're exploring, you know, in like, uh, in Christianity and the God, you know, the gospel, you know, we, we, we get up on the cross and we die to be born again. We lay down our life to, to find it. And then you got like the realm of, uh, therapy where, well, let's say like, philosophy, uh, meditation, and kind of that kind of more of the metaphysical esoteric journey. It, it requires ego death. You come to the end of yourself where you, you realize that we you get to that place where you, you break out of your individuality and you realize that we're all one, we're all connected. And so it's kind of this paradox of being one, but being many being connected, mm. uh, psychedelics, the same thing. If you do psych, if you go on the psychedelic journey, uh, that, you know, if people who, who have experienced that understand that you have to let go, you have to surrender, you have to come to the end of yourself in a, in a psychedelic experience. Otherwise it's going to be hell. You're like fighting the whole thing. You have to come with, you have to come to what, what's, 
what they call an ego death. You have to just give into it. And then something perhaps profound and beautiful can happen on the other side. Now, I'm not recommending psychedelics. There's, there's a lot of risk involved, and, and that's a deeper conversation about is even, um, is it, um, there's a lot of danger and risk. And once you consider like the spiritual realm, I think, you know, that's all. Anyway, I don't want to sidebar there, but, but yeah, it requires ego death. You have to, you have to come to the end of self and therapy is the same way. So if you want to, you know, going back to the thing, if you want to go into this wound, which is your doorway, it's going to hurt. It's going to be scary. Um, and you're going to have to surrender to that. And, and at some point let go, which is kind of the process of forgiveness too. Interesting. Uh, and then in that we can be reborn. Hmm. So, yeah. Thanks, hmm. man. And then if I may, um, I don't know where we're at with time, but what I would love to, to offer here is in the realm of this is a podcast for dreamers. And so could you read that quote again? Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is respect was invented to cover the empty place where loved, where love should be. Yeah. Well, my question for y'all is what does that mean to you now on the other side of this conversation, other side of this exploration? And then how does this apply to dreams and dreamers? Like this dichotomy between love and respect and is it a dichotomy at all? I think about something entirely different, even from like the love and respect conversation, because we touched so many things. Yeah. I, 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 I am, um, I hear communication matters in relationships, like pivotal in relationships, and that it seems like some of the same grievances are just different symptoms being described, in, or the same symptoms being described in different ways. And most of that seems to stem from communication and communicating love in a relationship. And then uh, in just the general conversation, verbiage matters, language matters, and the accuracy especially. Because that's what we just got into was like, well, love and respect. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's value. Well, what does it mean to be valued? Well, what about <laughs> pride? Well, what does it mean to be, what does pride look like? You yeah. know, what does love look like? Like we, we just got into that whole, what does everything mean? You know, like everything's pretty existential and we're just breaking down essentially every single definition. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. It's, I think that. I mean, one of the points of our podcast, one of the points that we state um, and believe is that every person is a dreamer. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be an artist to be a dreamer, you know, um, that it isn't something that some people have and some people don't. Mm -hmm. And so as a person, as a dreamer, as someone who desires love and respect, this is a dance we're in as people, as we're, as we're dealing with all the things we've talked about today, family, trauma, um, the hero's journey. Um, these are all, it's, it's a dance between dreams and humanity and our deepest needs, you know? 
mm-hmm. um, our deepest need, I think, to is to be loved. Our mm-hmm. deepest human need is to be loved. And the best thing we can do for ourselves and for others is to be people of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think... Love and grit, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that is where it connects for me, is that to be human is to be a dreamer, is to be loved, mm-hmm. or at least desiring of it. Yeah. And a way that you can show love is to show respect. Yeah. Hmm. Is a way, not the way, but a way. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think when I think when I think about dreaming and dreamers, I agree that we're all dreamers because we're all human. It's like synonymous. You can't be one without the other, uh, whether or not you acknowledge it. Same thing with artists. I think we're all artists. You know, we're made in the image of God, who's the creator. So we're we're all we all have the potential to create, even if what we create is mayhem mm-hmm. or nihilism. Yeah. And so those are all choices we can make. Uh, but I, for me, I think that dream, uh, a dreamer is synonymous most with a desirer. And so in that way, we're all human. We're all desirers or something that you want. You may not know that you want it, but there's something that we want. And at, and when you drill it down to the core, love may be the thing. Um, and we want to be seen, heard and accepted. Uh, we want to be, we want to belong. And so, yeah, to dream is to desire. And so going back to love and respect, I would say that if you like two things, if your desire is not all about and doesn't have love, then it's not really a desire. Maybe, Mm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It might be like a reaction, you know, like the villain and the archetype of the villain. There's no love in it. There's something they want, but it's, but it's not really something they want. It's a reaction. It's like someone wounded them and they took the wrong path mm. long ago and they're just stuck in it, you know, which is why Luke Skywalker didn't kill his dad. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think if there's not love in it, then it's not desire. You love, and respect, you know, you can't have one without the other. And then the other thing I'd say is if you don't respect your desire, if you don't respect your desiring self, your desiring heart, the gravity and the kind of atomic power and magnetism of, des- of your desire, capital D, if you don't respect, if you don't respect that, then it's going to wipe you out. It's going to wipe you out. You're going to end up, um, chasing idols. You know, you're going to end up chasing externalities. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think love and respect in that way for the dreamer there's something that you want good uh which means probably there's something that you love or someone good uh and and it's kind of the ushering into maybe this is part of the masculine journey too is ushering into you know it's a treacherous road it's a treacherous path um and so there's some th- caution in the wind and that the hero's journey, the story arc and the path, you know, this, the sirens, you know, that, that we, there's all these things that we have to watch out for, uh, which I think is important. And then, yeah, I mean, maybe it's all about 
love. I mean, you were talking about um, Dante's poem about climbing the mountain, mm-hmm. you know, and the different lev- levels of um, of purgatory, purgatory, different levels of purgatory. Yeah, and so it's kind of at the bottom. I guess it would be maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but like Hades. Yeah, so so you know it's broken up into three things where you have inferno, which is hell, yeah. right? And that's and and even hell has levels of of brokenness and pain. Mm-hmm. Purgatory is the people that are marked for heaven but can't let themselves accept the love and grace given to them, mm-hmm. so they keep themselves there. Yeah. But and there's layers there too. Yeah. But the higher on the mountain you climb, the easier it becomes to climb. Yeah. is what he says so when you're still at the bottom it's like the way his his um his world is structured like like a giant mountain right and at the pinnacle is is paradise and in between you have purgatory in the base of the mountain you have hell right or below the mountain and as you climb purgatory towards paradise as you shed all that stuff you're shedding you're taking off bags right just like it's like you you start the mount you start at the bottom with a pack full of food you have to use to get to the top right Mm. and as you as you eat it the pack comes lighter right as you shed the things you don't need anymore and so and even even as you get more tired climbing the mountain it gets easier because you're getting closer to to where you're meant to be it's like you're getting closer to home like love without attachment at some level Or without a need. Yeah, I, um, I've been feasting at the table of Jonathan Pajot, and he goes really into symbolism and and the the Christian tradition, the Orthodox tradition, and which is so so interesting. Being born and raised as an evangelical to to get in there, um, he's just lighting me up. But one of the things that that he had mentioned talking about that story is that it's all about love. Like the people mm-hmm. in hell or people in Hades or at the various levels, let's say, as you're going towards paradise, um, they're not there because they've been condemned uh, necessarily. Uh, they're there because they want to be there. Mm-hmm. Like they love something there is something they love and they've just loved that thing, that external too much. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they've, uh, they've, they, they love it so much that they choose to stay there and the invitation still exists to climb the mountain, but, but that's going to require to, to lessen the grip on the love of this thing, whatever it might be. And to, you know, take the hand as you say, and climb back, find something even greater. Yeah. I mean, that's also the great divorce. Yes. Lewis. Yeah. You know, like it was, it was, it's the decision, like God gives you what you want. If you want pure unadulterated selfishness, you can yeah. have it. Yeah. If you want freedom, you can have it. Yeah. So it's, it's such an interesting concept, this idea of that, like, you know, people perhaps in hell, let's say, uh, are there because they, that's what they want. That's where they want to be, which is kind of a paradigm shift in some ways from the, what I was taught in that, you know, they didn't figure it out and they, and, or they're wicked and, and now they're being punished. It's just an interesting flip of that. Um, we could have this conversation sometime for sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, back to the dreaming thing, the whole point of it was, um, if you don't respect your desire, then it could, it can, it can like pigeonhole you or it can, um, it can freeze you. It can stop you. It can, 
it can uh, hurt you if you don't love it or if, if you love it too much, I mean, and if you don't respect it enough. One last thing you said, you said the word freeze. Let me just say this about Dante. Dude, it's okay. Let's do this thing. It's great. One, one last thing that Dante says in, in Hades, in, in uh, Inferno, is, you know, we picture Inferno. I mean, Inferno, we think of as fire. When you actually get to the lowest level of Hades, um, Satan is there encased in ice. He's actually frozen. Oh, wow. So it's like, it's like this, this f- being frozen where you are, frozen in your selfishness, wow. um, frozen in your pride. So I think that's really interesting because you don't normally see that. You see like the giggling goat hooved, like, ah, you know, but it's actually more so like frozen and, and there are people frozen near him too. Like the worst of the worst in Dante's eyes. That spreads. Exactly. Yeah. The coldness. Dude. Incredible, right? So good. I had never heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like that, that infests Yeah, that mentality of of nothing matters and, mm-hmm. and making other people suffer. It spreads to everyone else. Yeah. That's so cool. Who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? This has been the 0400 podcast. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming.